From Potomac Fund Management, this is the Conquer Risk Podcast. Join us as we discuss the business of running an RIA firm and the practice of investment management. And now, our hosts. Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast. My name is Manish Kata, the President and Chief Investment Officer at Potomac Fund Management, and we are doing something different today. This is our first interview in our new podcast series. Uh, welcome today, Alex Chalekian with Lake Avenue Financial. Alex, tell me uh, about your business and sort of uh, your role in this industry. Sure. My uh, firm, Lake Avenue Financial, is an RA based out of Pasadena, California. Uh, we had a big announcement yesterday, so I'd love to share that also with your audience. We are going to be joining Integrated Partners which is an RA much larger than us, actually 60 times, um, excuse me, 40 times larger than us. So we're gonna be part of that RA group, which will help us a lot in scale, getting rid of some of the complexities, regulatory stuff, as well as I will be taking on the role of head of practice acquisitions, which is something I really enjoy doing, being able to work with other advisors, help them find a succession plan, help them uh, buy another practice if that's what they're looking to do, help them with innovation in the industry. So all of this kind of ties in and it's been a great alliance. So head of acquisitions, why you? Why do you feel that you can offer anything when it comes to acquisitions? Well, that's a great question. One of the things that I've had is the experience of doing a lot of other acquisitions. I've done seven to date. The first one I started was in 2008 and we did a couple more 2009 and so on and so forth. And I've learned a lot. You know, I've made all the mistakes that you could possibly make with those seven acquisitions. Not all of them turned out to be the best. I probably wish out of the seven, three of them I didn't do. But I wanted to make sure I learned from those mistakes and I share that. And one of the things, uh, platforms I share that on is Advisors Unite. And when they saw that, they saw that this would be a great fit where they could bring someone like myself into the mix of the team and be able to offer that to their 140 plus advisors. Let's dig deep on, uh, deep on that because I talk to advisors all the time right. and one of the things that always comes up is acquisitions. Right. Because let's say you're not growing from a marketing perspective, uh, you have infrastructure, you think that, hey, I can go out there, get a practice, fold it in, and it, they make it seem a lot easier than it is. Right. So when you say that you had three that you wish you didn't do, mm-hmm. what were the common factors when you look back that really screwed the pooch on those deals? Well, it was, it was a number of different things. One of them was the fact that the advisor that was selling was not ready to let go. Even though they thought they were ready to let they're, go. They're never ready to they're let go. They're never ready. It's their baby. you know. Yeah. And, I, and I get it. At the end of the day, this is something you've been doing 20, 30, sometimes even 40 years. And a lot of them that were a one-person show where they handle a lot of those responsibilities, it was very hard for them to let go. But I should have picked up on that, especially with that specific practice, the fact that this advisor had never had another assistant, never been able to work with another colleague and something. I just realized afterwards, I'm like, there was a reason that was the case, and I didn't pick up on it. So now I look at it from that standpoint. And, and they had a hard time letting go, even though they looked at us as their succession plan, they started to be very critical of the things we did, even though we had talked about it from the get-go. This is the process we're going to take. This is how we're going to communicate with your clients, so on and so forth. So easy example. Um, as we're doing the transition, one of the things is we got to talk to the clients, get some paperwork done, and so on and so forth. 
And sometimes clients are going to lag. It's human. You know, they don't get the paperwork back to us or they don't sign it online or whatever it is. We'll follow up with them. And my team was following up. And then all of a sudden, I get this very nasty email from the advisor saying, why did you contact my clients without my permission? And it was like, hold on. Number one, this is our clients. We're working together. Uh, number two, we're trying to take this off of your plate. But if you'd like to, more than happy to let you go ahead and contact them and let them know. And then their response was, well, that's not why I brought you guys on board. This is you're supposed to do this. Because we gave them a whole list of all the clients to contact and all the things they do. And they didn't want to handle they that responsibility. Yeah. So it's like, it was a catch-22. It's like, you want us to do it? You don't want us to do it? So we had a lot of those types of moments. And uh, I, I realized, I'm like, okay, we got to be cognizant of this going forward. So the right fit from the start, like had more questions ahead on, yeah. on that fit process. But even, even then, Manish, is I did, we asked the right questions, but... You know, when you're coming up to a deal, people have good faith. And then once the ink is dry, it's like things can change. So you have to be cognizant of that. For sure. I was at a conference and they were talking about acquisitions. Actually, you might have been on stage during that. And one of the things they mentioned was it's not about the multiple. We're so focused on the multiple, right? right? Because you want it just like when you sell a house, you're so right. focused on the sales price. But in this business, it's about the terms. Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, the handover of clients, how that works. Um, what terms have particularly come up in your deals that have been sticking points or things that you can let people know to look out for when it comes to the term side of things? So that, that, that is also a great point. And I probably was the one talking about this. We had one acquisition where we had an advisor that was looking to exit the business. This was 2009, meltdown is that happened and he was just done. He was like, I was gonna retire anyways. I don't want to have to build this back up. He basically told me, you got a couple of months for a transition after that, lose my number. Wow. You know? So on that, we had a different term structure and, his, and what we paid for it was much lower as far as a multiple was concerned because he wasn't there to help transition. And then on the flip side, we had another advisor that we signed a one-year agreement with as a consultant that would stay on board with the transition. And he went even over and above that. He stayed on for two years and didn't ask for any compensation. He's like, I just want to make sure the clients are taken Take care, care of. Yeah. And those are the types of advisors we want to work with. The ones that truly care about the, uh, the clients and want to make sure they're taken care of and will go above and beyond and are not looking to who's going to give me the highest price. Price, exactly. And so one thing that comes up with that is how do you pay for these things? Right. And I have some knowledge considering my deal. I had purchased majority share two years ago. Okay. And when prior to that, I did 10% at two different increments. And that was all cash, after tax, out of pocket, which when you look back at it, you know, it takes a lot to, to make up for that. So yeah. when we were talking about the 80% purchase, the majority purchase, you start doing the math and you have to come up with ways to, to do it. Cash flow. Cash flow, exactly. And then so we were introduced to sort of the SBA loan process, mm -hmm. which they are actually quite eager in this space because it's predictable cash flows. Mm -hmm. As long as you don't completely shit the bed and lose all your assets yeah. in the first couple of years, it makes which sense. Can happen. Which can happen. But it makes sense for them from an SBA loan perspective. They can see everything, right? right. There's nothing tricky. And so that's what I pursued. And it allows you to spread it out over 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, good deal terms, rates are low. Uh, are you seeing SBA loan used? And did you use any SBA loans, in, SBA loans in your process? So I did not need to use any SBA loans. Luckily, we had the capital to go ahead with that, as well as we were fortunate enough to utilize uh, our broker dealer, who also helped with some of the down payment. 
so that helped in that regards. Uh, but there's great tools like this, the SBA loans. There's also other lenders that are more private that can give you those funds. Yeah, I've you heard go, about some of those at conferences and whatnot. Correct, yeah. correct. So I've found those to be even more advantageous because you know the SBA loans, they're great loans, they're great terms, but they could be a little bit more lengthy as far as the process. I don't know how long it took you to go through They that. warned me and said, from the onset, they said, be, the paperwork's gonna drive you insane. Correct. It's gonna take longer than you think. Right. And I had the capital, but 10 years, 4%, you, it, right. How do you say no to that? Right, you know? right. So in that scenario, they at least warned you. So I think they probably learned from the mistakes because in the past when this started to become a thing, uh, advisors were caught off guard when something might have taken four months or whatever uh, to, to get going. So there's, there's private institutions that will be able to do that and match those things. The SBA is also asking for personal guarantees. Which I did. Correct. And the others aren't. So that's something for you as a family member to know like, okay, do I want to tie my house into this? Do I not? So those are decisions that you need to make personally. Uh, and you're, you can look at both and see what makes the most sense for the structure. Well, that's a good point. So I was purchasing a business that I worked at for 18 years. I was very familiar with the accounting. I was very familiar with the, the clients, the process. Would I have done a personal guarantee buying another person's practice? That's where it gets into, you know, uh, the match, right? right? And that's right. a big deal to take on, to guarantee personally something that you may not know what skeletons are in the, are in the closet, right? Correct. Especially when it comes to accounting. Right. The things that you can do from that perspective, you may not know until you get the practice and start digging through things. Well, that's, that was one of the other mistakes that I discovered is we have to be a little bit harder, harsher on our due diligence. Even though we do the due diligence, there's still going to be things that you're going to uncover, right? So this advisor might have not disclosed to you that they sold these products that are, uh, the client is locked up in and can never get out of, or something that they bought at $50,000 and it went defunct and now it's worth $3,000 and they have this huge loss and you don't pick it up until you actually look at a statement yeah. and say, wow, what happened here? They never told me about this. But now... That problem that that other advisor have had gets transferred to you. The client still wants to talk to you about that same issue, saying, "What are we going to do with this thing? I, I mean, should we sell it?" And when you sign it? those documents, you absolve them you, of that. That's part of the process for the most part. Correct. Right? Yeah, you do. But at the end of the day, you still have to have a conversation, yeah. right? So, um, you, so let me you interrupt you. Do yeah. you have a checklist? Yes, I do have a checklist. Is that something that you can share through Advisors of Unite? Yeah, that's okay. that's the whole purpose of Advisors Unite. Uh, I. I talk to advisors so much because I've done a lot of speaking on this space. Uh, I get asked to talk about it because of all the different acquisitions we've done and uh, learn about all the pitfalls and I, they want me to share that. So I figured instead of having to do this on a one-on-one basis, why not use this as a platform where I can share this across the board with a bunch of different advisors and talk to them about succession planning, acquisitions, and innovation in the industry. So that's that's would be a great place to find a lot of this information. And it's so custom. Like everyone's looking for that answer. Like how do I buy? How do I get a succession plan in place? Right. It just depends. Like do you have the person underneath to come on? Agreed. What's the capital structure? What firms are you going after? And so starting with a checklist is obviously a great idea. But then it just takes someone like yourself in that position to bounce ideas off of to, to, to really, you know, follow the rabbit down the hole. And that was one of the big reasons why integrated partners wanted to bring me on and not just say, let's figure out some sort of, a, you know, robo version of this where we could just have it automated. It's tough because I'm going to have to. You can't. You can't. You can't, you can't automate yeah, this. There's yeah. feelings involved. Yeah. There's human nature. There's people. They want to know. I might have a conversation with you. Let's say you're an advisor that's looking to sell. And you can say, yeah, yeah, I'm looking to sell in a couple of years. And. 
and this is what I want. And then maybe you have these crazy expectations or maybe you really know that it deep down in your heart in two years, you're not going to stop, but you don't tell people that. And you start to try to go down this rabbit hole and then discover two years later, I'm not ready to get out of this business or this is too lucrative. I haven't even done my own retirement planning. And that's where I start to see some of the advisors. This is the biggest asset yeah. and they need to protect it and make sure that they can make it last for them. But if they're going to get it two times multiple or whatever it is, a couple of years later, they're trying to figure out how do I replace that income stream? Yeah. Because in, in a lot of cases, you're better off not selling and just ignoring it. Well, in a 10-year bull market that we've seen, that's what they've done. Yeah. They've had no reason to do this. Most of the advisors that I've talked to you know, 10 years ago said, in five years, I'm going to retire. And you talk to them five years later, it's like, oh, in five years, I'm going to retire. And I've talked to them 10 years later, and they're like, oh, in five years. This is rolling five-year period Never because ends. things have been going up. Yeah. And when they look at it... Most of them have had their relationships where their meetings, quote unquote, are a day at the golf course with one of their good clients or a nice luncheon with another client and so forth. So they're comfortable. And it's an easy conversation to have when their accounts are going up. But once that turns around, you're going to see a lot of these people that are going to say, you know what? I was going to stop five years ago. It's time for me to get out. It's, it's emotional, right? Very. It's emotion. Even when the deals, the deals that I have done, you know, everything's great leading up to it. You get, you know, you're, you're shaking hands, you're signing papers. And then afterwards, there's always something, right? There's always something emotional where like you, you have regrets and if you right. did it. And there's where the checklist comes in, the experience of yourself. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing sort of what you do with, with integrated when it comes to that, because sure. I think it's a huge hole in this business. There's a lot is. of content and white papers speaking in generalities, but there's no person who has actually done it. Even the companies that specialize in it, they haven't actually maybe done a deal themselves. They maybe brokered something, but it's a lot different when you're involved in it right. and you're making that client phone call, right. transitioning the emotional side of it. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna take it to a step where I'm going to go and meet with advisors face-to-face. -face. And again, there's nothing wrong with a lot of these other companies that do help broker some of these deals or put things together or put a succession plan together. Uh, what I see the difference is going out and physically meeting with that advisor, getting an idea of what do they really do, what's their setup, what's their process, how comfortable are they? I want to look them in the eye and say, are you really ready to let go? Preparing them for the emotional side of it. Yeah. Because you've been through yeah, that. It's very hard to do that over the phone or just have some sort of a listing, right? You yeah, don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and we've utilized some of these companies and been able to be successful in acquiring the practices or get in line to where... You know, they, they got 130 inquiries. It got whittled down to these are the 10 uh, people you should talk to uh, from those inquiries. Then you do a phone interview with that uh, seller. And then they whittle it down to three people. And then from there, they say, I'd like to do a face-to-face -face meeting. Okay. So at least we've had that uh, opportunity to meet with them face-to-face. -face. Some of the buyers don't even want to meet face-to-face. -face. They're just, it's a numbers game for them. Well, they're like, I'm going to take your practice. You don't know it, but I'm just going to break it apart and just look at it like a lead list. Yeah. And in the contract, I'm going to add a back a back end clause that if, you know, if shit goes bad, you're on the hook, not me. Yeah. And so you might've spent 30 years building a practice and in 30 days I could destroy Done. it. Yeah. And I think it's important, the emotional side of it, right? And the best analogy I read was, you can tell me that you're not afraid of snakes, right? If I ask you, are you afraid of snakes? Right. I'm not afraid of snakes. But if I throw a snake in your lap, you're going to feel a lot differently, right? And it's sort of the same concept. We can talk about deal structure all day long. Correct. But unless you have someone to walk you through the emotional ups and downs of what you could happen, you know, it was sort of like when we had our first baby, right. you know? 
there's no book that's going to prepare for that first goddamn so, night where yeah. you're just like, oh my God, this baby's about to die, <laughs> you know? And so it, it's, it, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, so, all right, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to add about sort of Advisors Unite and, and your goal and, and what you want to sort of, where you want this baby to go? Well, I, I've been doing this for 22 years now. And one of the things that I lacked at the beginning of my career was having mentorship from other advisors, uh, other executives, team leaders, and so forth. It was kind of like, you know, back in the day, if you were in the industry, just kind of threw you up against the wall. They're like, if you made it, you made it, and, and then that was it. That was, that was training, right? Um, so now I look at this as a way of me giving back and offering the guidance and the mentorship to other advisors, whether it be through Advisors Unite, whether it be just all of the other stuff that I do today. Earlier I was on a panel talking about social media and marketing, just sharing my ideas. Gone are the days or the advisors where everything's a secret. You used to talk to one of these advisors and you'd be like, hey, tell me, you know, how do you guys do so well? Would you share? They're like, oh, I can't give you the secret sauce. Like, There's no it, secret sauce. It might sauce. be a generational thing as well. Though, it is, right? it is, it is. And that's the one thing I enjoy now with the FinTwit culture that we have. There's a lot of advisors that want to share, help each other out. There's enough to go around, and, and that's why with Advisors Unite, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking this to the point where I'm like, okay, how do I maximize this and capitalize and turn this into a profit? This is more, at this point, it's just free information that I want to share and want to make sure that advisors are doing the right thing to help the clients, because that's the ultimate goal, to make sure that the clients are taken care of. Before we end, I wanted to start with this, because you mentioned FinTwip. Yeah. So, we actually prior to a couple months ago, have never met, right. didn't know each other, engaged on Twitter, commented, saw each other's practice, met at Wealthstack, and now a short month later, we get to sit down and do a podcast. And that's the power of Twitter. That's right. the power of being open. That's the power of not hiding your cards and really educating and showing people how, the right way forward. And so it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. I'm sure we'll run into each other more often at, at these other conferences. And anytime you want to get back on the podcast, just let us know. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.